Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Hey friends, before we get to Danielle Schroyer and her book, Original Blessing, let me tell you about another book. It's called The Deborah Club by D.W. Pierce. Now, The Deborah Club is a dark, sometimes funny tale about the corrosive nature of church politics on the hearts of well-meaning Christians who, in the midst of a power struggle, find themselves behaving nothing like Christ. It's a story about men, women, power, and church. What could go wrong? Uh, One reviewer of the book said, The Deborah Club is like House of Cards, but only set in a church. Now, at the Newsworthy with Norsworthy podcast, we usually talk about nonfiction books, but this is a fiction book that I would strongly recommend you going over to Amazon, drop $2.99, and get yourself a Kindle copy of this one, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. So, go check them out. Uh, You can go to their Facebook page as well, The Deborah Club. Um, Go to Amazon, get this book, The Deborah Club. You will enjoy it. It's fascinating. It's a fun read, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So, here we go with Danielle. That's why you get an assistant. You gotta get an assistant. So they can just... Say no to people. Yeah, you get an agent and just be like, be the bad guy for me. That's really what you're paying them for. Yeah. So that you can be the guy. And be they can nice. Be the bad <laughs> cop. Uh, okay, well, let's start this. Um, today we've got uh, the author of the new book, Original Blessing, Danielle Schroyer. Is that the right way to say it? That is the right way to say it. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Today we are in Highland Park, uh, beautiful, inclusive Highland Park. I was driving down the road. And there's school children playing, and there was kids with dark and light—I mean, dark hair and light hair. They're all white kids, of course. Yeah. But seeing all the white kids playing outside, it was just <laughs> just a beautiful place to be. Yeah, it's just tons of diversity here. Yeah. So thanks yeah. for making the drive down. Yeah, you're welcome. And uh, so we—I don't know if we scheduled this a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Literally the day I after I scheduled, I got an email. Hey, you know who you need to have on the podcast? Dan, you have a fan club of people who want you. <gasps> On the podcast. That's so nice. So this is a big honor. I'm thrilled to be here. It's an honor for me too. Yeah. I'm glad we finally met. Okay, so you uh, you have a doctor from Baylor, is that right? No, I got my BA from Baylor. BA. And then I, I got my master's from Princeton. Princeton, oh. And then I had a baby, so I did not go you had a baby? to my PhD, yeah. And so you went to Princeton, huh? Did you actually live in New Jersey? Yeah, yeah we actually lived there um, for a number of years after I graduated. Really? Yeah, we had, my husband, we got married and he moved up there to let me finish school and then... We had a baby, and then we had another baby, and we both liked our jobs, and we just thought we would be Yankees for the rest of our lives and live happily ever after, and then we moved back to Texas. Did you actually live in Jersey? Yeah. Wow. Loved it, actually. Yeah. yeah. I, I was born in Philadelphia. Yeah. So I lived just... just Philly is great. Yeah. I lived there until I was 12, so I don't really know it that well. Yeah. But I lived there long enough where I can really quote the, like the Fresh Prince song and make it somewhat factually true, because really, I was born in West Philadelphia. It's where I was born and raised. Man, I'm so jealous of that right now, because I really do like Fresh Prince. It's, I also can sing that song. I, and but, most of his other songs. Yeah, but I do that as like an intro when I'm like traveling to a new place and speaking. It's like my 70% of the time I use as an opener, and it always works. Yeah, West Philadelphia, born and raised. Playground's where I spent most of It's so good because I also broke my front teeth on the playground. Oh. And so that's a typical transition into breaking my front teeth story. Yeah, it's good. But you never broke your front teeth. I did not break my front teeth, nor was I born in West Philadelphia. No. But I do like Philadelphia a lot. Really? It's a great city. Well, 
I mean, I live in Austin now. I'm never going to say Philadelphia is better than Austin. Really? Because it's not at all. Austin's also a great city. Austin has the worst traffic yeah, it's ever. Really bad. Like Austin and LA, I think. Terrible traffic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a fair comparison. Yeah. It's nightmares. So the, no way around it. So the theory that I've been told about Austin traffic is that there's so many people who didn't want to destroy the trees, that they didn't <laughs> create enough roads, and now that like 140 people move to Austin every day, mm-hmm. there's just like no way to catch up. Yeah. And then they said, well, let's just double-decker the highway, like put one highway on top of the other highway and just mm-hmm. like have more roads. And that didn't help at all. No. Which is hilarious. I, yeah, sad. I go over a few of those every day, and I feel like one day I'm just going to see someone drive off. Yeah, With texting, yep. it's just it's going to happen at some point. I would imagine it probably already has. Yeah, but that would not be a blessing to anyone. No, no. See what it I would did not. there? I'm setting this up I for see, a transition. I see the pivot. I saw the pivot. <laughs> <laughs> That's so bad. Okay, before we get to the book, though, you were you were a pastor. Yep. For years. Yes. Uh, in Dallas, the church was called Journey. Yes. Yeah, that was my most recent gig, yeah. Yeah? And you've since transitioned to being... A writer. Writer at large. Yes. Is that exciting? It's been really fun. It's been really fun. I love that I can say I do that all day. You do? Yeah. How many, like, how much Well, I should say... Be honest. Since I finished this book, I took a little break, and I haven't started my next project yet, but soon enough, I've been reading. So either, if I'm not writing, I'm reading, and usually while I'm writing, I'm also reading, so... I just like words. Okay, I, I like that you're really being consistent with that. <laughs> so you have the next idea. Yeah, next I have book. two actually, and I was trying to decide which one to do next. So okay, yeah. well, we can talk about which one to write next. Okay, and uh, I, I think I should be a part of the process. Okay, perfect. Okay, I'll but, get your opinion. But okay, so your book, Original Blessing. Yeah, I I was thinking about this very subject. And I, and I knew this book was coming out. And so I had Tony, Tony Jones, this book is through uh, Fortress Press, their Work of the People one. Hello, Elijah. Hey. How you doing? Okay. Good. He lives here. Awesome. He's not just a random yeah. teenager walking through. Um, <laughs> so I was doing some stuff on this idea of where do we start? Yeah. Because like, I think it's, I forget who said it, but if you start in Genesis 3, it's often a completely different story than if you start in Genesis 1. Yes. And so I love That's this idea. That's the first problem for sure, yeah. Do you think that really is the first problem? I do. I do. It's a ba- Genesis 3 is a bad starting point. It's the, thir- it's the third, not the first. No, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Do you th- okay, so that's the biggest problem you think is people are starting at the wrong place in the story? I think, yeah. I think that's where it starts, and then it just you know, goes haywire after that in a number of different places. So you say the idea of original sin is one of the biggest stumbling blocks to how people relate to God. I do think that, yeah. Why is that? I, th- I just, you know, there are a lot of theological debates that people have about certain doctrines that I think, you know, sure, let's have a debate about that. And um, there are certainly reasons why you should maybe think one or the other, and they have theological significance. But I don't think any of them are as damaging as the doctrine of original sin has been. Um, just in so many different ways. So to me, if we could just rethink that one, it just down the line makes a lot of things easier. Can you, can you give some examples of how original sin has damaged people, churches? Yeah, the primary thing, I mean, my overarching argument is kind of that, well, it's not kind of, it is, that original sin sets us up to believe that we're separate from God Mm -hmm. and that that is counterintuitive and counterproductive to our calling to live a life with and in God. Mm -hmm. 
And so if we want to do that well, we start by saying God has chosen to be in relationship with us Mm -hmm. and God has chosen to stick with that relationship regardless of what we do. And so therefore our life is just lived as a response to God. It's the response can be all kinds of different things, but it's never we're separated from God. There's this massive chasm. You're, there's nothing in you that's good. And therefore the only thing that's good is if you ask God to come be over all the way over here, like we've made it this whole dramatic thing. And all that does is set up the sense in which we start assuming that we are far from God and that God is entirely separate from us. And although that's true, Sometimes and in some ways, it, I don't believe it's true in the way that the doctrine of original sin says. Okay. Now, I'm sure some people are going to hear this and think, well, does that mean like sin isn't part of the equation and that there's <laughs> nothing wrong? And so God's just cool with everything and there's no evil in the world. And so right. how do we understand, how do we make sense of that? Yeah. So, and that's actually why I put the little subtitle, putting sin in its rightful place. I should have read that, shouldn't I? No, no, no. My bad. No, no, you did read that. And, um, Because I think that's the non-starter that most people have. They're like, well, I mean, look at look at everybody. Where does it like look at the world? It's a disaster. How can you say there's not any sin? But original blessing isn't saying there isn't no sin. It's saying that we aren't born with a sin nature that separates us from God and that prevents us from being like intentionally on our own will being interested in doing something good. that doesn't mean that you don't mess up. That doesn't mean that you don't make mistakes and that you don't get in bad life patterns. That doesn't mean that whole societies don't create systems of injustice. Of course, all those things are true. Um, But I think that instead of saying that we have a sin nature, we can simply say we have a human nature and we can still hold on to all the things we need to know about sin and brokenness and difficulty and injustice and violence um, and redemption and positive, you know, moving towards um, the good and the holy um, without all that baggage that I just think is unnecessary. Yeah. So we can get rid of the idea of original sin without getting rid of sin. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And it actually is so much healthier to deal with sin if we get rid of the idea of original sin. Because the other weird thing is, I think it in some weird way gets us off the hook. Really? You know? How so? Um, like you can imagine, you know, you've seen on those, on those, uh, there's cartoons and there's like the angel on one shoulder and the demon on the other shoulder. Yeah. And first of all, the demon always wins, which that's the story it's of original sin. Types. Like yeah. you're going to, you know, the, the, the angel always looks so stupid and is like, Oh, please don't. And is super wimpy. And then the demon is like, Oh, you know, you want to. And then the person always decides for the demon, which that's what original sin is, is that you're always going to go, you're going to go with the, the demon side every time. Um, I just think that's, that's just weird and mm-hmm. unnecessary. And your your argument isn't just based on, hey, this this isn't something that feels wrong to me, but you trace it back to the very history of the church, and you go all the way to the beginning, and you're going to argue that it, it wasn't there. It was not there. Yeah, it definitely wasn't there. Like, I keep jokingly, I think we've made now banners and stuff um, that say Jesus didn't believe in original sin, maybe we shouldn't either. Um, that's a nice banner. Thank you. Uh, but I really do believe that that's true. I mean, Jesus was Jewish. They have no concept of original sin. They never, ever, ever have, not one time. And so the idea that Jesus would believe in this thing that we have concocted long after his death and resurrection um, and imposed it upon him is weird. Um, and I think if people can just drop the story 
and try to read those scriptures that they think are saying original sin and just think maybe what if it wasn't saying that and they could read it afresh, they would realize that it actually wasn't saying that at all. Okay, so before we get to those texts yeah. and some other ways to think about them, one of the things I found really fascinating is that not only does Judaism not talk about it, Islam doesn't talk about Islam it. Islam does not talk about it. And the earliest Christian creeds, nope. they don't talk about it. Nope. So when does it show up? So, and also, Eastern Orthodox Christians have never, never admitted it. Um, Armenian Christians, all the Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, none of, none of the Eastern side of the church has ever acknowledged that original sin is a, is a thing at all. Mm-hmm. So, and that's lasted for this long. So and there's, yeah, even within our Christian tradition, we've always been split. And the difference would be in the East, the big issue is death. Yes. Right? So, so explain the difference between death and sin. Yeah. So one of the things that I kind of talk about in the book is, so in 1054, the East and the West split. And the quickest way to talk about what I think happened is that you can imagine two boxes, okay? And one of them is labeled death and one of them is labeled sin. Obviously, both of those things are happening, but the question is like, which one should be nested in the other? Okay. So is death a result of sin or is sin a result of death? Right, all right. And you can't talk about them separately, but I do think it makes a huge difference in how they develop theologically because the East said that death was the biggest thing that Jesus was fighting against. And obviously that's why their Easter's are more awesome than our Protestant <laughs> Western Easter's are. Like, if you don't think that's true, you should for sure go have Eastern Orthodox Easter one time and you realize, oh my gosh, we are so lame. This is way better. Yeah, like, we, what do we do, an Easter egg hunt and have I, a little brunch? I once brunch? had, had a, an Easter bunny in a helicopter drop eggs. Do you think that would compare? That is cool. I still <laughs> totally think the Eastern Orthodox just beat us at our Okay, at this so it's still better than even Easter bunny even dropping eggs. Even helicopter Easter, yeah. Okay. Uh, and then the West decided that sin was the big deal. And so all of our theology pivoted around sin. And that's when you start getting all these concepts of sort of legal co- concepts of sin, substitutionary atonement became the primary way. And honestly, the exclusive way that you could see what happened on the cross, it became payment. Everything was very legal. And then the sin nature was an explanation of what's wrong with us. And then you know, the cross was the solution to the problem and all of those things ticked out um, when the West kind of decided that sin was the central thing they were talking about. And my argument is, I, I think that the East had it right. I think the early church had it right. If you look at Acts, all the apostles are talking as if death is the big thing that has, that has been upended. Yeah. And that new life in Christ is the, is, the, is the big good news. And in that, you repent from your sins. Um, but that's secondary to, yeah. to the aspects of life. And I think our mutual friend Richard Beck talks about sin is uh, the goon that the mob boss of death sends out, right? So he yes. keeps it kind of in the gangster language. I like I that. I appreciate that. So yeah. death is the mob boss. Death is the mob boss, 100%. But sin is like the enforcer that goes out. It yeah. works for death, yeah. but it's, it's, it's still a big deal. But that's why Paul is saying, you know, uh, you know, this. What is it? First Corinthians fifteen. Where of death is your sting? Like yes. that's that's the big one that it's out of the equation. Right. And so I didn't I didn't go to Princeton, so I'm not smart like you. Oh gosh. But it was uh, substitutionary atonement, Anselm, right around that time of the split that it's really starts coming on the scene where it's not 
part of the early church before then. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, even in art and stuff, if you look at art, early Christian art didn't have Jesus on a cross. It didn't have this this deep sense of like bloody whatever. The, the Eucharist table certainly was always connected to what happened on the cross, but it was much more about life celebration um, and that the body and the blood were not, you're not thinking as much of his sacrifice as you're thinking of his embodied life. You're taking in his life, his life mm. blood, the body that is alive. Uh, and so even now in the way that you re- you see those Eastern liturgies, you can tell the difference that that's, you know, in, in the earliest liturgies, you can hear, you know, St. John of Chrysostom and, and you can, you can see those themes being prevalent. And then, you know, further along in the West, it became no. very focused on uh, the Eucharistic sacrifice, which I'm not saying we should get rid of, I should say. I'm not trying to say like, you know what, we should all be Eastern. Um, I just think that it's become so exclusive and narrow-minded that we've lost this broader sense of what's happening. Yeah, and so that is seen in how we understand text, and it's seen in how we even go back to the Genesis account. Yes. And the way we read that is... Um, is definitely influenced. I won't. I don't know. I don't know which came first, our interpretation or our theology. But we have this view of Genesis that, in your book, you give us some other options as to how to understand that. Yeah. And so uh, you said that, like, there's basically like, kind of three main ways. Yeah, I kind, I wanted to offer three ways of reading it because one of the things that I find frustrating. So you're a good pastor. Three options. <laughs> yeah. Three if there points. was alliteration, it would be even better. I but. know. I should have thought of that. Darn it. Sorry. See, that's why I'm here for the next book. Yeah. See, this is why I'm not a pastor anymore. I can't. Yeah, I didn't I'm here to help my them. three points. Okay, so the three ways of reading. Yeah, and the reason I wanted to give more than one is because I just firmly reject the idea that there's ever just one interpretation. And that's also something that, as Western Christians, we have just yeah. lost that. Um, because so if, we have the historical critical method. We'll get the one right meaning, the and then we'll stick right. with it. Yeah, and if you're asking sort of a liberal theological person and a conservative theological person, they have a different idea of what the one thing is. But there's still one. Yeah, which is all, which is also ironic. I'm like, oh, that's the thing. That's the, that's the one thing it meant. (laughs) Um, But, you know, in Jewish tradition, the idea of just coming to one, to one conclusion would be just totally ridiculous. It's, it's, it's there to provoke in us certain reactions that, that move us toward God. So I wanted to make sure that they, I wasn't just saying, oh, it, it for sure doesn't mean the fall story. It only means this other thing. It means a whole lot of things. I think the fall it is probably the least likely thing that it, it means uh, mm-hmm. if we if we kind of look at it in proper context. So yeah, I talk about, you know, it could you could just see it as a as a a beware story, like um if you look at the serpent and say the serpent is a symbol of Canaanite religion or pagan religion, then God is shown in that story as over and above the serpent and puts the serpent in his place. And it's a warning like, Hey, don't follow, don't follow pagan religion. Choose the one God instead. And of course this is Genesis was written during the time um, of scattering. And when, they were really having to make that, the people of God were having to make that decision in their own lives. And so this story was an, an empowering and powerful way of saying, you know, you stay faithful to, to the God of Abraham. That's a totally valid story. Yeah, that's a good story. one. Yeah. Um, anyway, the, the main one that I, that I talk about is, is seeing Genesis 3 as a coming-of-age story. Yeah. So we, we imagine that um, Adam and Eve, and in fact, they're not given names yet, so it's the man and the woman, um, in the story are young and they're children and they're growing up in Eden and it's, 
everything is provided for them. They have a few chores. They got animals around. They got mm-hmm. a, a loving parent who walks with them. And um, then they get older and kind of think they want to start asking questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they rebel against their parent, which is just a natural part of growing up. Yeah. And as they do that, the response of God is not cursing and not um, you're banished forever and yeah. not, by the way, you kind of have the image of God anymore, but now you're going to have this awful nature that has been given. Like none of that is said in the it's text. Not there. It's just like, it's time for you to grow up and get out of the house. You got to go yeah. get your own place now. I think it might have been Brueggemann in his Genesis commentary talks about putting on clothes as a sign of civilization. Yeah. Like we're leaving right. uh, this pre-civilized humanity. Now we're moving towards civilization. You, you spent some time in the book developing the, uh, an understanding of the word that's used when that's NIV translates as banished. Yeah, weselehehu. You know, I was going to say that, yeah, but that. <laughs> Princeton, again. Uh, how is that used other places in Scripture? Yeah, so I mentioned there's a couple of other places in Scripture where we see that word used. And of course, Hebrew is just wily. So, you know, I remember learning, I studied Hebrew in college um, for four years. It was like my language. Four? And yeah, I took it I took it a freshman year and loved it, and so I just kept going. That's weird. Uh, I know. I I'm, took two semesters, and it it was generous that I've had. <laughs> so it's just not a good language. It's just wrong. I loved it. And I. the thing that I remember realizing so quickly was, oh my goodness, this is just like poetic and you would learn a word that was vocabulary and it was like, well, it could mean South or together, you know, and you're like, (laughs) what, you know, and you just sort of had to guess from context. It's just not, and Greek is very logical, but Hebrew is very just like, I don't know, feel it out, see what you think, you know? Um, and I, I wish people could have seen your hand motion with that because it kind of went there, but it's not, it's like I kind of nanade right there, but um, I had a guest preacher whipping nanade during a sermon last Sunday. So it's, it's that's, very biblical. Carry that's on. Special. Yeah. It's very special. So Waselehehu can mean it it can mean um, sent forth or sent out. It doesn't normally mean banished in the way that we've come to to mean that. That was a translation that that we use and I think is wrong, actually. So in these other moments that we see it in scripture, um, often it comes after conflict, but it's been resolved, or it's not it's not detrimental conflict. Like they're sent out in peace. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, that was a rough lunch, but, you know, here's, here's some dessert for your ride home and, you know, safe travels. Yeah. So it, it's always kind of a, a sending forth with graciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, it's, there's just no way in which it seems punishing in any way that it's used in scripture. And my argument is I don't think it's being used as a punishment. They weren't banished they were sent forth, sent out. And in fact, we do that every single Sunday at the end of our gatherings because we have a benediction, which is nothing but a sending forth. Hmm. And yeah, it's great to be at church and to be gathered and to feel safe and to have communion and to be surrounded by our community. But listen you also have sermon. to go, yeah, listen to a great pastor Thank who you. preaches a good sermon. Thank you. And then you got to go out in the world and do life, you know, where it's often complicated. Not that so, the church isn't, but. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, you talk about, oh, well, first of all, if, if we had this idea like this, it's banished, not banished isn't like a bad thing, but like commissioned and sent out. Yeah. How do we process the idea of, well, that was the ideal state and, you know, eventually we're going to go back there and that's what we're hoping for is this redemption of all things and it's going to go to this pre-fall state. How do we process that with this idea? 
Yeah, I don't think that's a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If we look at Revelation, which, by the by, we should look at metaphorically, not as as literal, um, we see God not in the Garden of Eden. The The story of Scripture does not end in the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. It ends in a city. So even God, so to bring Brueggemann's point up, like it, it isn't pre-civilization anymore. It is a fulfilled civilization. It's a complex civilization. So God isn't um, wanting to return us to some sort of like, you know, perfect pre-fall. And none of that is even that. in the story. Yeah, there is no such thing as, you can't go back to being four either. I mean, it's it's the same thing. Like you're an adult now. You've got to find this complex way of being in the world. But God does, the thing that does stay the same in Genesis and Revelation is that God is walking among the people. Mm. Um, and we, there is a tree there, again, and it's a tree that, whose leaves bring healing for the nations. And so there's a river. and Everything that is provided for us in Genesis is provided for us in Revelation. But even God doesn't stay there. God, God lives in the city with us, and we are there after we've had this practice of being sent out into the world. And because of that, we've had to make tough choices and learn wisdom along the way so that when we arrive um, in the new creation, which is both part of our participation in God and part of just what God does mm-hmm. of God's own volition, we arrive there together. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, seems to happen over and over again in Scripture is that like, they go back to stories and they repeat them. Yeah. And you find the significance in how the story is retold. And you can't read you know, the Jewish text without hearing about the Exodus. It happens over and over I am the God who led you out of you know, e- Egypt over and over again. They always go back to that. Yeah. How, how is this story, which is so told by the church today, when we're talking about you know, original sin and you know, the fall from the garden, how is it told throughout Scripture? Yeah, that was so shocking to me, even though I thought, well, I mean, I have read scripture through all the way a few times, and maybe I'm just forgetting something. But when I really got into research, I thought, I don't think I remember Jesus talking about Genesis 3 ever. I don't remember it being repeated in the Old Testament. I don't remember reading it when I was, you know, translating Hebrew texts. And yeah, there's no Hanukkah or, I mean, there's no like festival around it. And so I went back and looked, and the only time that Gen- the Genesis 3 story, or even, even really those early first three chapters of Genesis are mentioned, um, is in apocryphal texts, which mm-hmm. is, of course, the text that the Roman Catholic Church has in their canon, but the Protestant Church doesn't. And they're not really definitive texts at all. So I mention them in the book, but, um, but what you do notice is that there's a huge distinction between the primacy that we give Genesis 3 and the lack of primacy that scripture itself gives it. Um, and that, as you said, that's especially interesting because it's not like those stories weren't just on total repeat, that you hear Exodus, 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 yeah. all the way through the Hebrew scriptures, and you don't hear about the Garden of Eden once. Yeah, okay, so one of the big issues, I think, people are going to have with the idea of, okay, original sin's off the table, yeah. well then... What what did Jesus do? Like, why did he show up? Like, the, <laughs> what was the, he dying for? Yeah, like that. That was probably a pretty bad day for him. And if yeah. he and his, a lot of his friends, like, it was probably a bad day. Why would Jesus have to go through all that? Because original sin creates a nice equation. Like, there's original sin. We have this chasm. I don't know if you've seen the bridge and the the cross. How oh, it becomes yeah. the bridge between us and God. But that that like that sells really well. It's a good message. Uh, people go to church and go, yeah, that makes sense. I want to. I, I want a piece of that. Yeah. Why did Jesus come to die if if it's not to get rid of original sin? Yeah. Um, 
the hard thing is when a theology makes sense like that, it's you've probably left scripture. Why is that? Because nothing is scripture in scripture is that straightforward. I mean, even the gospels themselves aren't straightforward. Like there are different accounts of the same story. The things differ between the accounts. You know, there's, I mean, it's just, it's just not possible for it to be that kind of consistent. It's consistent in all kinds of other important ways that I think are much more valuable. Um, but, but anytime a theology seems too clean, I think that you should be wary of it. So that's the first thing I'd say. Um, the second thing I'd say is that I think that we have attempted to understand the cross when in a very visceral sense and intentional sense, the cross is supposed to confuse us. Hmm. Um, we are supposed to be confounded by the cross and, I, I know that I spent, I don't know how many hours and p- pages upon pages of reading theology of like, this is what it meant definitively. And I really reject all of those um, attempts because again, it just means so much that there's just no possible way that one statement quickly on a tract that you can hand to somebody is going to make sense of it. it what was, if it has a cartoon though? Yeah. Even I mean, a cartoon doesn't It do just it? becomes a pretty tract. Yeah. It's, it's so weird because we like how polished and smooth it is. Yeah, it's a good pitch. Yeah, it's a great, it, it sells well, you know. Yeah. But, but I don't know about you, but sometimes when things are so simple, you just go, well, okay, uh-huh. there's something Everything missing Everything happens here. for a reason. Yeah, Anyone yeah. who's lost someone and has had that said to them realizes that is an insufficient answer for that my sadness and pain. Yeah, like, yeah. we killed God. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. God also died. That's also unfathomable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then out of this terrible, unfathomable act of violence upon the most innocent, perfect, faithful, obedient person to ever walk the earth, life comes. That's crazy. It's yeah. crazy and mysterious and insane. And so, um, the main point that I hope to make, I hope that it's kind of discombobulating, like people maybe get lost in thinking about what the cross means a little as they read the book. I kind of did that intentionally. Really? Yeah. Like I think when you get to the cross chapter, you're like, wait, what? And if you feel that way, I think that that's great. That's what I was hoping <laughs> you would feel on purpose because that's the whole point. Like uh, I, I think I quoted someone, I, and I don't remember who it is now, who um, said, the cross itself is the apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, it's like the unveiling, but like in this just way that you, it just undoes what you think the world is like. Um, so the simplest message that I can say I kind of want to share about the cross is that it's a blessing mm. and that the blessing is we murdered the son of God, um, partly because we didn't like the way that he was not living or not living into our own religious requirements and the same would be true if he came today. It would be, you know, we would just do the exact same thing again. And out of that lack of graciousness on our part, God responds with new life and mm. forgiveness. Father, forgive them. And so we forget that blessing is the absolute most foundational, bedrock, unwavering thing that that God continually offers us and that Christ is the deepest and most tangible example of what that is for us and what yeah. that looks like. Okay, I don't know if you quoted Rorian here, but it reminded me of a very Rorian statement where he says, uh, Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about us, 
but Jesus came to change our mind about God. Is that in the book or? No, but I love that. And I would have put that in the book because I think that's exactly right. Um, I think I say something like, Jesus didn't come to solve our, our sin problem. He came to, to solve our blessing problem, yeah. which is that we forget that we have one. And we don't live out of it. Yeah. And oh. when we forget that, all kinds of things happen. We lose our way. Um, but if, if we could kill God, and what happens as a result of that is Easter, mm-hmm. we have some kind of sense of freedom and depth in understanding what the fidelity of God's faithfulness and love looks like to us, that maybe we can trust it enough you know, to, yeah. to face not only the fact that we are capable of good, but that we're also capable. Okay. Of can you put your pastor hat back on for yeah. a second or the collar? You don't you never got to wear a collar. I wore a collar sometimes. Did I mean, you really? Yeah. As a chaplain. Well, only because oh, you thought were a hospital I, chaplain. Right? I was a hospital chaplain and everyone thought I was the high school volunteer. And so my chaplain was like, you're going to need to bust a out a collar. When the first Sunday of my new church, uh, I, I show up and someone said, "Hey, uh, do you need to find out where the college class is?" Yeah, like that's oh, real man. talk. I feel. I you. was thirty four. Yeah. 34. Oh, I, I had a baby. I was graduated with a master's and had a baby, and they were <laughs> like, "Are you here from the high school to be yeah. a candy striper?" And I was like, "Um, I'm here to pray with you. Do you want to talk with me about yeah. anything important?" And, and the answer is no, because wah, you. Wah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so maybe I'll start wearing the clerical collar. Yeah. We don't do that very often in the Churches of Christ, but I can start. Uh, okay, so you put the clerical collar back on. Yeah, got it. And you're trying to think of like the gospel message mm-hmm. for someone who goes, okay, I'm not living out of blessing. I don't get that. The cross helps me see that. Uh, I, I don't know what that means. Like, How am I not living out of the blessing? I would say, do you trust that God is in relationship with you? I would say maybe the good news, it could be, some people find that offensive. Like, I don't believe in God, so I don't believe that God is in a relationship with me, which is fair for people to believe if they want. Mm-hmm. Um, if, however, it's true, God is in relationship with you, only because God has chosen to be. And um, the beauty of our life is that when we choose to live in response to that relationship, we are opened up not only to this this grounded sense of being loved and beloved, um, this gaze that despite what kind of parents we had or what kind of friends we have or what kind of relationships we have now, that someone is always gazing upon us with unconditional grace and love. Uh, And that that allows us to be more open to each other and to be more concerned about how we gaze upon one another and how we gaze upon the world. Hmm. That's good. I think one of the issues that healthy spirituality has to deal with is the guilt that we all do have. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't want to go substitutionary atonement view of that's what Jesus' death on the cross did, mm-hmm. we also have that sense of, man, I've made things worse. Yeah. The world is the worst place because of some of the things I've chosen to do. We're doing fine. You know, background music is good. Like it's, it's, good. it's kind it's of, really awesome. you know, once I did one in the background of a, uh, there's a, Ren Collective was singing in the background. Like oh. They're warming up for their concert. And so they're singing in the background. Today we have someone like banging into doors and stuff like yeah. that. It's Life just is as, happening. It's just as beautiful as Ren Collective singing in the background. <laughs> right, right. That's what I'm trying to communicate. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I think all of us have to own up to like, there is a sense that I've made the world worse. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I have this sense of wrong that I need to fix. And this original sin substitutionary atonement view gives me an out for that. Mm-hmm. How do you help me understand how I can find forgiveness for my wrongs? 
Yeah, because I don't think that original sin does. I think original sin just like leaves you in that shame because you're like, yep. Because even once you're saved, quote, saved, you don't really lose your sin nature. So there's no sense in being redeemed from your sin nature. You will always have it. So it's just, it feels to me like you just get stuck in that shame and that Mm -hmm. guilt because you're just always going to, you know, there's always going to be this possibility to choose bad and you're just, you can't get out of your own sin nature. Whereas if you accept original blessing, because you know that you're loved, you can face even those times when you really mess up. Um, I think about like my, my marriage and I know that my husband loves me. And so I know that even though he will hate it, that I get a traffic ticket because I'm speeding, he will not be glad to hear that news. Like, I don't think he's going to yell at me or berate me like a child. He's going to treat me like an adult and he's going to love me because Mm -hmm. I don't expect to see rejection in his eyes. Do you know what I mean? So when I'm like, uh, I got to tell you, like I got another speeding ticket. I know that I'm loved, so maybe that's not a good example because that's not like total guilt. But you know, like I trust that I can say to him, man, I really messed up or whatever. I can come to my kids and say, you know what, I really messed up. But they, because I'm loved, I know that they can see and recognize that I've done something wrong, but also that that's not the main thing that defines me. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if you're talking about sin nature, it's like the sin is the thing that defines your humanity. Yeah. That's who you are. Whereas if you look at it as this is a choice that I made, then that's not all of who you are. That's something that you did. And you yes. have to take responsibility for yeah. that. But underneath that responsibility is this just deep sense of, of love that you can't get rid of even when you really mess up. Yeah, because that one thing isn't the totality of who you are. No. I, okay, I was talking to um, uh, Monica Coleman. Yeah. And you know, do you know Monica? Yeah. Okay. Her new she, book, too. Yeah. Uh, Bipolar Faith. Yes. Okay, so we were talking about that book uh, months ago, and she talked about how like the ter- the uh, a terrible terrible thing happened to her she was raped mm-hmm. and she made a comment that blew me away she goes and i don't think even my rapist is just that one act he's more than just that wow. and i'm like i don't know how in the world yeah you say that but i yeah. think that's it like that this isn't the totality of who you are it's right. more it, it's more than just that yeah and I think that God is able to see us that way. And sometimes, I mean, I would say, not to embarrass Monica, but I would say she's deeply embedded in that sense of God's unfailing love because she's able to extend it even to someone who has, has done her violent harm. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a sign of being so grounded in this sense of a belovedness that is beyond her own self. Yeah. Um, that it allows us to be open to one another in ways that just seem kind of unfathomable. Yeah. And all good theology leads to you being able to love the people in front of you, even <laughs> yeah. when they're your enemy. Yeah. Like Jesus probably said something like that. Once. I think he did. Yeah. Okay. Something else that down. was said once you're a big, uh, Maltman fan. Yes. Okay. There's a quote that you have in there about, uh, he was asked by, I guess, uh, Travis from Work of the People. Oh, yeah. 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 Where he said, well, who goes to hell? And he <laughs> says, Christ. And he's like, <laughs> Which is drop. like quick one. Yeah, his little quick one liner, like, who goes to hell? And he goes, Christ. 
So good. Yeah, that's really good. Did it was so it actually good. recorded on one of Yeah, the, it's on one of Travis's Work of the People. So if you go and look on under his Molmon videos, I don't remember the name of that one, but You you I think you have a, a link to it on here. Or I not probably do. It's a yeah. book. It's not actually a website where you just click on it and it takes yeah. you there, but Yeah. But um, there. Okay, so so explain that idea. So we're thinking of original sin, Jesus comes you know, some people go to hell. In the cross, that's that's God going to hell. In yeah, Christ. God is so intent on being with us and proving that God is not going anywhere. Like mm-hmm. I keep saying through the book, God is sticking with it. Like yeah. that's the whole story of Scripture from beginning to end. Is God sticks with us even when why we don't know, right? And on the cross, I mean, we proclaim in our creeds that that Christ descended into hell. Um, and so that sense that he goes to the depths of hell in whatever way that we want to understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, where else is left that God isn't present to us? Yeah. Like every single place on earth now and in heaven and in hell has been um, brought into the presence of Christ so that no matter where we go or what we experience, we know that God is with us. And I think that's the message of, of Jesus. And that's kind of good news right there. It's good news. I don't know why we don't say that more you, often. You kind of put your pastor or your clerical collar back on. Like that was a, that was a good sermon <laughs> a right project, there. A little pre a little Yeah, I like that. That was good though. That wasn't a conversation. That was the Lord. I'm just telling people what's what. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. what's what. Yeah, even in the depths, God's there. Like, yeah. right? That should be yes. in the Bible somewhere. Even right. in Sheol. Counselor. Where can I go? Yeah, that's Psalm 139. We just riffed off that. Yeah. That's good. Uh, okay, so the book is Original Blessing, and people, sh- it's going to be out whenever this is posted. So yeah. you, you go get it. It'll you be at your house it. in just days if you order it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're going to write other books, and you've already said that we can help choose whatever that topic is, <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay, so I'll work on some ideas. I'll send them over to you. It's so the Perfect. next time it'll be a book. For the podcast that I've suggested. I think that's a great idea. Deal? Yeah, deal. All right, well done, friend. Thank you so much. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.